thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hello, people. Can you hear me, people? Hello, people. <laughs> Hello, people. Hello, people. Hey, this is Don Bowen. We're going to let this play for a little bit. Kind of get you in the spirit of worshiping our Lord and Jesus. We give thanks. There we go. With a grateful heart. Give thanks to the home. Good evening. This is a classic worship song, as you people know, maybe. Some of it's probably older, some of you. (laughs) There he is. song from a long time ago, Bareface. I do. Yep. This was when worship music was worshipful. We give thanks <laughs> with a grateful heart. Give thanks I don't know, some might refer to it as 7-Eleven music. I know. Give thanks <laughs> because he's given to Jesus Christ his son his son Because of what 
do okay wait also want to play this song you ready for it you're talking to me no i'm just gonna gotta play a commercial here first wait people there it goes okay you know your christian walk every mile matters you know what i mean so if you're watching the replay of this don't worry this is Nicole Nordman. It's such a good song. It's profound. The map on the table with the coffee She's got a new CD coming out, by the way. Finger on the places. Show me where you've been. Is that California? Where your teardrops dry? Yep. You drew a circle around Georgia. Where you almost got killed. Can you tell me why? That was a joke. Looking all over your face. Wrong turns and bridges burned. Things you want to change. It's history. You can't rewrite it. You're not meant to be trapped inside it. Every tear brought you here. Every sorrow gathered. It's history. That's right. Every mile matters. Top shelf with the black and white snapshots of your old self in a better light. Go send regrets back again. I can see it in your eyes. Ghosts and regrets back again. Let them go. Don't you think mm -hmm. it's time? Yeah. It's history. You can't rewrite it. No, you're not. Trapped inside it, every tear brought you here, every sorrow gathered. It's history. It's history. Every mile and every road and every bend, every bruise and bitter end. All you squandered, all you spent, it mattered. It mattered. Yeah, it did. Israel it does. It's what we're going to talk about tonight, people. Yeah, it is. Bareface has got a lot to say about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he does. So, kind of in a Nicole Nordman mood. 
Ah, uh, there we go. All right, people. Hey, glad you're here. I want to thank you for tuning in. And also welcome welcome those who are on the replay. Glad that you're here listening to the replay. You know, we we get we get quite a few replay viewers. Yeah, we do. And I am happy that you guys watch the replay. You know why? Because that's why it's there. So you can watch it. So I know that some of you are on YouTube. Want to say hi to you guys. And those of you who are on Periscope, hello people over there on Periscope and Twitch and what's the other one I always forget? What's the Mixer. Mixer. I should write that down. Mixer. Hello, people on Mixer. <laughs> I totally forgot. Forgot who you were. I should write that down. Uh, and then if you happen to be listening to our podcast archive, uh, send me an email. Let me know you're out there listening to the show. I know there's quite a few of you actually that do. I see the numbers, but I don't know who you are unless you tell us. So, all right. So, Randall, tonight, your, your idea tonight was that you wanted to talk about Israel, but you also wanted to do a recap of last night's interview with uh, Darren and um, Rhoda. There you go. <laughs> I knew you'd get it. I was rooting for you. <laughs> no. Well, I was, I was, yeah, I kept thinking Rhonda, Rhonda. No, it's not Rhonda. It's Rhoda. <laughs> I don't know why. It just, it's, it's one of those things in my head. An okay. important anyway. biblical name. Yeah. Do you remember who Rhoda was? She was somebody, yeah. Um, I know she was important. I don't remember who she well, is. Oh, she's at the mentioned moment. by name. Well, yeah. She was a supporter of Paul. I don't know. Doesn't tell us that. Oh, well, then never mind. I don't know. It's Sunday. I'm tired. I really don't, don't even want to do this show tonight. The only reason I'm here is because Randall said he didn't want to do it alone. Um, I'm tired. It's been a long couple of days. So if I am lacking energy, people, that's why. Acts chapter 12. Peter was miraculously released from prison. Right. And he went to the door. Okay. Knocking on Right. It. Uh, to where the other disciples were gathered, who'd been praying for his release. <laughs> and uh, anyway, girl answered the door and, well, just heard his voice, didn't open the door, ran back and said, hey, Peter's at the door. And they said, no, it's his angel, whatever that means. That's a whole nother... Thingy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but it's pretty funny, the, the group fervently praying for his release at well if he can't be released <laughs> the prayer of faith there he was released they were praying for his release and he got released and they didn't believe it when he came to the door but the young woman who answered the door her name was rhoda hmm. was her last name morgenstern by any chance i doubt that she was jewish no doubt <laughs> i know but... she was jewish well that was supposed to be funny and of course those of you who are as old as randall pandle bareface you know that valerie harper who played Rhoda Morgan Stern, not only on the Mary Tyler Moore show, but also on her spinoff show, Rhoda. Mm -hmm. uh, she died recently, which was kind of a sad thing. Yeah. I actually like Valerie Harper. I don't know if she was a flaming liberal or a believer or Jewish. I just, I don't know. Well, of course she was Jewish descent. <sighs> I believe. I mean, at least she looked it anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay, but so... I was going to say, but then again, so do we, kind of, but we are kind of Jewish descent. I am. I am too. 
I am a French royalty. Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you got that. But... Got it from my book, my DNA book. The because his... of the soldier that served in the royal army. Yep. Well, and and the fact that there was some royal blood in his, in our family. I didn't see that, but well, you haven't read the whole book. Okay, I did see that. The yeah. I have the book. All right. Yeah, I do. Do you think it was Whatever. an accident that not only did God like reveal I'm Jewish, but also of royalty? Wow. You married yeah, a princess. Did. Yeah, you well, did. I know that. A Jewish princess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm related to Esther, people. Yeah, I am. <laughs> You'll have to show me the royalty part in the book. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> anyway, okay, so last night we had what I think was probably one of the best interviews I've done all year. I agree, and I still um, need to share it out. Yeah, and it was with uh, uh, Darren and Rhoda Mel. Uh, who were very vulnerable, you guys. And I, you know, I want to give a, let's see, how do I say this? I know personally what it's like to bear your soul, open your heart, you know, share really intimate personal stuff about your life and never get, um, and, and I know, well, let me put it this way. I know what it's like to do that and lay it out there, right? Um, and I know how vulnerable it can be. I can, I also know uh, the emotional after, the emotional aftermath that can happen as a result of it because it is very vulnerable and you and frankly let's just be honest there's a lot of judgmental hateful ignorant bigoted buttheads out there who who will just take some of what they shared and spit on it basically say you guys are liars and hypocrites and you know what the heck do you know and blah blah blah, blah, blah. and that's just people right i mean that's that shows you the the sin sick fallen man you know it just verifies jeremiah seventeen nineteen, which you know there was a reason jeremiah was a weeping prophet the man he knew he was confronted with sin all the time and when he wrote inspired by the holy spirit that the heart is deceitful above all above all else who can know it right the heart is deceitful above all else but you know people don't just come on a show that's worldwide and bear their sin and their soul and they and and everything you know that they did and do that just for you know because they're martyrs or something you know the Mel's came on because they wanted to share the victory and the hope that they have in Christ and what Jesus has done for them in the hopes that somebody who might be out there struggling with the same thing understands that there's grace and mercy and and hope for those who are broken and repentant you know the bible talks a lot about brokenness and, and the bible says that god is near to the brokenhearted and the contrite in spirit he ne it never says anywhere that he's near to those who are prideful and boastful and arrogant and full of themselves and they think they're number one um, in fact, God opposes the proud, it says, um, but he gives grace to the humble. And last night's interview, I've interviewed thousands of people by now after the 15 years I've been doing this. And I, I can tell you that that testimony was one of the most powerful ones I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I truly respect them for coming on and sharing it. I'm happy to say that I've only seen good feedback from it, except for the jerks that came in last night and were throwing 
butthead jokes and comments about about their looks and stuff. Um, you know, and I was telling Randall that one of the things about that interview that impacted me pers- personally is how, um, you know, Darren was talking about, you know, his struggle with sin and how he overca- he overcame his struggle with these things by submitting it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And there is a huge difference, people, between Jesus being your Lord and him being your Savior. You know, he is both, but Lordship is not something that the modern American or even Canadian person, you know, of today would actually want to even consider. You know, when somebody is your Lord, that means they're your master. They control you. They, they, they tell you what to do and you do it. They have the power to punish you. They have the power to bless you. They have the power, they, they have power over you, right? I mean, at least they're supposed to. It just, it just so happens that, that our Lord Jesus is a merciful God. He is a benevolent master, if you will. He allows us to serve him, you know, but he does discipline us. You know, he loves us and, and God does love us and he does discipline us. But but if you're going to submit to the Lordship of Christ, that means you're going to you're going to have to crucify your flesh. You're going to have to die to self, which isn't something that is a very popular message today. In fact, the the majority of the pablum you get in the Christian church today is exactly the opposite of that. You know, Joel Osteen and his heresy just declare I am whatever I am fill in the blank. I am, just declare it. And you know, you can declare it till the cows come home. Uh, doesn't make you above God. And, 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 and all that diminishes God. It diminishes the God of Scripture. And by the way, Osteen, in case you didn't know, he is a heretic. I mean, this man can't even testify to what Christ teaches scripturally about most things. In fact, he doesn't even call himself a pastor. He, he calls himself a life, a life coach. It's and it's tragedy, it's illness, it's mockery of God's kingdom, and it's it's sad because Joel Osteen's father was a very biblical preacher, and when this clown stepped in and took over the church many years ago, I think he was like the, I think he ran the media or something. The guy isn't even called to be a pastor, but there he is feeding pablum and poison to the masses. You know, um, he's not teaching the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, and and I hate to say it because I know it's not popular, especially with you milk toast Christians out there who, who think that your Christianity is all about you, (laughs) but it's not about you. And that's where I believe God is separating the, the wheat and the chaff, you know, and the sheep and the goats, people who, who really are serving Christ as opposed to their flesh and who they are. That's not a popular message, and it's not going to win you a lot of million-dollar, you know, TV contracts on the Daystar Network or whatever stupid Christian TV network you want to pay millions of dollars to put your pablum on. Um, Anyway, so I just, so when you get this show, hey, you know, (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know, but anyway, I I was moved by the testimony last night because I really think it, it, it exhibited what 
the devil hates the most. And that is that the devil hates it when people are set free from the bondage that he puts them in, you know, by getting them wrapped up in the flesh and, you know, and breaking vows and, you know, trying to destroy the very image of God. If you think homosexuality and homosexual acts don't do that to a person in their soul and pornography, if you really think that those things don't destroy who you are as a person or in, you know, your mind and, and all that, then you're completely oblivious to, to the schemes of the devil, you know. But Darren, because he repented, you know, he used the words death. He like died. He felt God's Holy Spirit remove, be, be removed him from him. And it reminded me, and Randall, I know you can talk to this better than me, but it, it reminded me in Psalm 51 when King David prayed that famous prayer of repentance, you know, um, in the famous part where it says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. If you don't understand that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given only at specified times and only to specified people. So King David, when that, when, when he was pleading and repenting after he murdered and, and, um, and committed adultery, you know, he knew, and I believe he felt that hand of God's blessing was removed. And I think the same thing happened with Darren. I think that Darren could feel God remove his hand and and all that. But I also think that God was moving in the life of his, uh, the life of his wife who recognized her own sin. And like I said, the thing that really struck me last night was just how she chose him. He chose her, you know, and, um, and, and, and then the idea of them not looking back, you know, but, but going forward. Yeah. I can't remember, uh, who it, um, was. I remember we were listening to, um, <clears throat> oh boy, I can think of his face. I don't remember <laughs> who now, a modern day preacher who was uh, relating a story from, um, from Billy Crown? No, 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 no. John MacArthur? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll think Dr. of, Mar I'll Martin think Lloyd of it James? after we go off there. Oh. But, uh, Hi, Barb. Anyway, I remember a story being related where a guy was asking this preacher, this, uh, revival preacher about how to get saved and wouldn't answer him. And he said, basically, go pray about it. And, and oh, yeah, it was approached several times, and then he would tell him, it wouldn't basically lead him in the sinner's prayer. And until the guy was so desperate, you know, just, just, uh, just, you know, with a cry of his body, soul, and strength, was aware of, of the, the, you know the death that he was in, and then the and the condemnation that he deserved, and and the depth of his sin, and you know, and basically cried as Paul did in Romans chapter seven, "Who will save me from the body of this death?" Only that guy didn't have an answer, but it was then and only then that the preacher led right. him. And it's driving me crazy because I know I know who exactly who you're talking about. I can't think of who it is either. And I think too often, Aww, you know, 
we do want to lead people to save knowledge of Christ, but often, you know, it's presented as the gospel presented as, you know, improve your life, you know, add Jesus to your life and things will go better. But, you know, when, when Yeshua, Jesus called his disciples, he said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And, and, you know, think about that. That was before he went to the cross. So the cross to them wasn't where Christ died and, you know, his blood was shed for us. To, to them, pick up your cross meant one and only one thing. That was you were headed for your execution. That you consider yourself dead. And, and that's what he said. If, if you, anyone who is not willing to take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, he told them. I mean, no wonder, you know, in, in John chapter 6, where you know, the hard saying, who can hear this and bunch left? And he turned to the 12 and said, will you also go away? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I mean, they didn't have, you know, they could have went away. It was really hard. The things that he was saying were very hard, but it's like, well, where else would they go? And that's what he said. Where should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I mean, Peter was aware at that point, I think. I mean, well, from day one when he met, because he told, he told Yeshua, he told Jesus, depart from me, from I'm a sinful man. Right. Um, you know, their first, well, at least the first miracle with the fish. And he's like, well, okay, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I got no business. You got no business hanging around me because we were not in the same company whatsoever. You're... You know, obviously the implication is you're a righteous, godly man. I, I'm a sinful man. You best uh, yep. walk away and and um, you know, fast forward to John chapter six. Where should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I mean, I think you know, at least that one of the twelve really got. He was the first one to say, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Um, right. True discipleship is 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 realizing you know what I I I got nothing I'm I'm bringing nothing to this I'm bringing nothing at all to this relationship. So what was it about last night's testimony that that really hit you? It was that that moment where he said before I had a well he I don't know what he described but he said he talked his real salvation experience was that that time of repentance after his, you know, um, uh, you know, cheating on his wife, basically <laughs> breaking his, breaking his wedding vows. And then, and the, just the shame and guilt. And he said, that was, that was, you know, that was his true salvation experience that he understood the depth of the sin within him. And, and that, you know, how, right. How deserving of, condemnation and how you know what what he brought if and i think you know one's view of christianity that yeshua jesus is going to add something to your life you got it all wrong i mean um the clear message of of the scriptures of the words of yeshua himself and and in the epistles uh is that we we consider ourselves dead because we are spiritually dead and right very true well so hey mama gina is out there barb no this is a 
dog. This is my cat. This is my dog Grover. <laughs> Mister. I call him Mister more than anything. Senior lab. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's been a little bit clingy since he's lost some of his sight. Poor little Bubba. Yeah. Poor little boy. He just runs and he jumps into stuff and he hesitates and he yelps before he goes. A poor little thing. This more this afternoon he was laying his head on my feet. It was so sweet. <laughs> yeah, it was. All right. Well, okay. So, uh, so any of you who were here last night and saw the interview, you guys have any feedback about it? If you happen to see it or even on the archive, um, you know, did you like it? Because that's, this is the type of interview, in my opinion, that should be on TV. It should be seen way more than, than the audience that I have. I think, you know, it should be, but it's also the type of interview that, that regular Christian media is not going to show you because, because they're too busy trying to make money, uh, and they don't want to offend anybody by being politically incorrect and offend. They don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Right. Right. Offends way down the line. Right. Yep. That sounds judgmental <laughs> of me, but just Any... call it like I see it. Yeah. You know what? That's that's another topic. The whole judgment topic. It's, you know, what really bothers me about that is, is people who say, "Well, thou shalt not judge," and they quote Matthew seven one. Mm -hmm. They pull it out of context, mm -hmm. and then they hammer you by being judgmental, judgmental towards you, and they tell you that you're judgmental. It's kind of like, hmm. Okay. Actually, the Bible teaches that we are to judge those who are in the household of faith. Yes. Frank, frankly, and any any Christian who tells you otherwise is is biblically illiterate. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, and it's not judging the fruit; it's judging the believer. You know, I mean, you can you can judge the fruit, but but you know, are you do you want to get up? Come on, Mister. Oh. Okay. There you go. I know you. You want to come back here, don't you? I'm sorry. All right, come here. Come back. Fine, don't come back. All right. Anyway, so yeah, so blame you for what I'm doing. I don't know what that means. Oh, that's a Solinsky task. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, and and you know, it's. It, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is. There's so much ignorance in the church today that, you know, and I don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination. I've been accused, well, you think you know everything. No, I don't know everything. In fact, the older I get, the less I know, right? Um, but what I do know, though, is that the ignorant, the normal stupidity of people who are judgmental claiming they're not, um, and they misrepresent scripture to take it out of context. They don't know what the heck they're talking about. Um, so many people in their puffiness, they're like, oh yeah, well, who are you to judge? <laughs> well, who are you to judge? Well, well, who are you to judge? Well, you're not supposed to judge. <laughs> really? Well, I have a gavel. So by virtue of the fact that I own a gavel, gives me the right to judge if I feel like it. Bye, because I said so. <laughs> or maybe not 
<laughs> okay, hey, bareface. All right, anyway, I, so you know when I think about <laughs> when I think about um, uh, you know current uh, current broadcasts and stuff, I think of going back a bit to the '90s, I guess. Uh, Newsboys on their "Take It to Take Me to Your Leader" album. Mm-hmm. There's a song, uh, "God Is Not a Secret." Right. God is not a secret to be kept. Anyway, the start sound um, lyrics are, "You don't get it, man. This is not what you think it is. Uh, uh, this is not what you think it is. Uh, you don't get it." You want to boil it down to showbiz. Your in-depth research says, drop the God, emphasize the beat. Said, I've heard that positive pop you dig. I'd rather be buried in wet concrete. Take back your free advice I don't accept. I will not play those games. God is not a secret to be kept. And, um, yeah, I think when it comes to sort of the mainstream, you know, Christianese radio, so right. it is. You know, it's the positive pop, and uh, but but there are extremes though too, because then you have your shock jock Christian radio, mm-hmm. where they're exposing all of the evildoers in the church, and it and it's it's so called discernment radio, which is which is in my opinion gossip radio, because so much of it is eh, and and it really does nothing to edify the body. That's why I hate the Christian Post website. I hate it. I hate Christian Post's website because you go there. If I was a non-believer and I hit the Christian Post website, I'd be like, why do I want to be a Christian? It highlights nothing good about the Christian church whatsoever. And you're like, wow, this just validates everything about what the world thinks believers are. Full of Christian, they're hypocrites, they're greedy, they're adulterers, uh, they commit suicide. Uh, you know, their gossips, they, 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 they sue one another. <laughs> it's like, gee, that's the testimony I want to leave behind, you know? And yet, there is a dearth of honesty in the church as well. Especially online ministry, you know? Yeah. People talk mm-hmm. about, well, you know, let's be ministers of reconciliation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, I dare you. Yeah. I mean, seriously, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how many of you out there have a conflict with another brother and sister and instead of actually coming to them and dealing with it, you hide behind a screen, you lie about it, and or you go to a- another brother and sister instead of the one you're supposed to and and badmouth the other person. It happens. It happens a lot. Mm. You know, and I'm like, well, what part of this part don't you get? Just curious, yeah. you know. So, what about the interview last night stood out to you? I most? just well, I I just I just shared what stood out to me. I, you know, and what I was going to say is that, you know, it takes a lot of courage to bear your life in front of a, a hateful world who's ready to pounce on Christians, but also oh. a hypocritical church that will, you know, judge you and condemn you because how dare you have that problem, Mm. you know? Um, And I think that there's a couple of people, you know, I think, in fact, I was really pleased that some of the people on my Facebook page left some positive comments and, and um, they didn't, they didn't know. I can't remember if they told us on or off the show, but um, 
it doesn't matter if it was on or off, but you know, they made a comment about how it was the first time Rhonda's Rhoda's friends. Damn, I knew I was going to do that. Anyway, Rhoda's friends had actually heard any of their story or knew any Acts, of the testimony. Acts chapter 12. Rhoda. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. But anyway, um, and so, you know, that's kind of neat, you know. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know our full story. And, you know, if they haven't listened to us for any length of time, yeah. we've been married 27 years. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that have known us from back then to now. Yeah. Um, but our audience, we've only been on the air 15 years. so And, and me, about um, eight of that. Yeah. Oh, that was the part you were on, Gina? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that, you know, people should honor them for their testimony. Indeed. I think that they should respect them. And I think they should should follow in their example, frankly, um, you know, because because it's a vulnerable thing to share that. And most people don't. They're not honest about their sin and their struggle because for some reason, in the church, it's almost like you have to appear to be perfect. And yet many, was what, three or four years ago, uh, Becky Pipper, who's who's in her probably 80s now, maybe mid-70s, she wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker Into the World. And I've shared this story before, but if you're new, it's worth repeating. Um, you know, her her whole emphasis was on teaching people to evangelize and that's why her book was called out of the salt shaker into the world um because you know she shared this story in that book about how um she was trying to to reach her neighbor you know for the gospel and and one morning she was having a bad day she she lived in an apartment she went downstairs to to do her laundry and uh her neighbor and her were talking and and Becky was upset, I think it was, because her husband had left and he was on some missions trip and she was by herself. She was struggling with something. And anyway, she opened up to this neighbor who wasn't a believer and started telling her neighbor all her problems and the stuff that, you know, were, that was weighing her down. And, and it was later that afternoon, I think it was, that the, the, the neighbor confided in her that she was having some problems and she was always afraid to come to Becky and tell her, what her problems were because she always thought that Becky didn't have any and that her life was perfect. And anyway, as a result, Re Becky Pippert talks about how she was then able to, to, to apologize for hiding that. And then that gave her the opening to share Christ and how Jesus is, you know, the answer to all of our problems, right? I mean, his word is, his love is. And, and that's my encouragement to you. I mean, you have a, each of you have a story to share with somebody. Maybe God will call you to do it on Periscope. Maybe he'll call you to do it in person. You know, uh, maybe he's calling you to do it other places. I mean, God's calling me out of the internet ministry. Uh, and he has been slowly doing that. And I know it. I know he's calling me. You know, he's cut this show back for a reason. And I think a big reason, big part of that is because he wants me local. And, um, you know, it's funny because it's not quite what I expected, but what I can tell you is that locally I have had, gosh, I have like probably hundreds of connections now <clears throat> locally that I didn't have a couple years ago in the next couple of months, actually this month in November, I have two speaking engagements I'm going to be doing 
And, you know, they're both about Legal Shield, but I can make it about however I want to present it. And, you know, I have, I have, um, I have the opportunity to share my testimony in the midst of the opportunity of what, what Legal Shield is about. You know, so God will call you, you know, from uh, one place to another, and he'll give you that direction to be able to um, share the story. Um, and, and that's the thing. Okay, so um, Barbara's saying my story would not be received well. Gina's saying, oh, man, I, ha have I got a story? I don't think God is calling me to share online at this time. It doesn't matter where he's calling you to share it. My my relatives, right? Okay, check this. Okay, you guys know I just, just found out I got a first cousin. She sent me a book that another one of my relatives wrote about my dad's ancestry. She wrote that book in the 80s, people. The 1980s. When I was still in high school. I was, you know, barely a believer. Here I am 50, almost 51. And I'm just getting that masterpiece she wrote in the 80s. So it doesn't matter. You can write it. You can put it in a book form. You know, you can do a podcast. You Maybe God wants you to share with one person what your story is and how he came in and, and touched you and healed you and stuff um, or taught you a lesson. That's really important. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His word will accomplish that which he has sent forth for it to do. I mean, it, it won't return void. You know, it will accomplish the work that he's destined for it to do. And I know I'm misquoting that, but it's Isaiah something, 55, 12 or something. 11. 11. Yeah. I mean, God's word doesn't return void. It, it has a purpose. And when he has a testimony in your life, I mean, look at like John Bunyan and, and um, Oswald Chambers and Adrian Rogers, you know, I mean, preachers of old, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, etc., blah, blah, blah. I mean, these pastors from many, many decades ago, centuries ago, you know, God is using their work all these many years later, you know, um, and he uses it for a reason. You know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't hide it. He, he uses it for a reason. So, um, so, you know, be, you know, use the voice God has given you because one day your voice won't be here, right? And I don't mean that to sound dire or anything, but the fact of the matter is none of us get out of this life alive unless we happen to be part of the rapture, which I hope. But, you know, generally speaking, most of us are not going to get out of this life alive. And, and the voice God has given you can reach people that I can't reach. You know, it can reach people bareface can't reach. You know, I was thinking about this truck driver that Randall and I um, met a couple of weeks ago at, at Truck Stop Ministries. And, you know, this man, I, I probably will never see him again. You know, I mean, what would be the likelihood that, you know, this truck driver will be in Franklin again at the same time I am? But I'll never forget that guy's eyes. I'll never forget this, the sadness on this man's face. You know, I'll never forget what he shared with us. And I'll never forget what he said at the end of our meeting, you know, and told us to keep going out there and saving people. Not that I saved people, but God only knows the encouragement that we were to that man that day. You know, you, you don't know. God used a feminine pad coupon to get me to meet some people from Iceland. 
know, <laughs> you know, and and if you don't think that that's a memorable story, I don't know what is, you know. <laughs> like by the way, I always remember how much God loves you. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we get into the Israel stuff, um, you know, don't forget, you guys, Ariel Ministries is our sponsor. You know, um, you know, if you like what we do then please support our sponsor. That lets them know you appreciate what we do. Um, and if you don't donate to our show on a regular basis, but you buy stuff through Ariel, that tells you that tells our sponsor that you value uh, what you do, right? So you can go to ariel.org. You can use that coupon code Bible News, and you can save 20% on anything in the store there. I know we say it all the time, but it's definitely worth worth looking into. Also, if you do want to donate to the show and you want to be a pillar of our community, uh, so many of you are. Um, well, not really. Actually, a handful of you are. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Maybe five people are actually pillars of our community. Um, and to those, you, to those of you who you are, thank you for that. If anybody else would like to join the masses and donate to the show, you can do that at your leisure whenever you want to. Um, I really appreciate it because um, every penny counts and... It definitely helps us out. <clears throat> um, what else was I going to tell you? Uh, yeah, I guess that's it for now. Um, okay, so you want to go ahead and talk about Israel? By the way, hi, Dale and uh, Dr. Jennifer Fee, Mar Marlene. Nice to see you in there. Titus, Gil, Gary, and I, I don't know who else is over there. Jeannie. Okay. All right. All right, earlier this evening I was watching on Amazon Prime. Don't judge me or go ahead and judge me. If you're a believer, I'm a believer. You have, I'm a believer. You have the right to judge me. Okay. But, uh, you know, it, Amazon, they're a mixed bag of, you know, whatever. Perhaps you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Or perhaps, you know, you'll find something redeeming. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's a mix of both. Anyway. Right. Uh if you got the Prime Video, one of the things on there is this series from 2006, I believe it is, where uh, journalist um, David G Green Greenspan. Yeah. But, by the way, before I forget, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like this, like the thing. But when you like our video on YouTube, I think it gets more people to see it. I'm not sure about it, but but yeah, if you like it, like it. Okay, I'm done. Anyway. Um... Uh, David Greenspan, who was uh, an investigative journalist uh, several years ago, primarily for CNN, but uh, worked like for the BBC sometime, that sort of thing. Anyway, he took this assignment, and off, out of this came this series. It's called Yisrael uh, Against All Odds, I think is the title of it. And yeah. I thought, well, I thought, well, that title catches my eye. I'm going to check this out. And he's approaching it from a, the viewpoint of a skeptic. Do you want to come up here again? But um, these things that, you know, these, these miraculous stories of survival that come, well, that come out of Israel survival. And, you know, when I've been asked, you know, why do I believe in God? Well, lots of reasons, but the best one word answer I can give is Israel. I don't know that God exists, Israel. I don't know the Bible is true, Israel. Uh, you know, here is a land of prophecy. Um, what? By the way, coming up this Saturday, our guest is Craig Von Busick, who wrote a book about Israel. 
and Roosevelt, I think it was. Or no, Truman. Truman and what he did for Israel. Yeah. A historical book, yeah. Yeah, so um, anyway, just, there are so many things, and we've had on um, Doug Hershey about Israel rising, and we've had on we've had on people from Israel 365, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, the the prophetic survival of Israel and the miraculous survival of Israel, its language, its people, et cetera, the very Hebrew scriptures is is nothing short of miraculous. Um, has divine fingerprints all over it. Yeah. It, it, Actually, the book is called I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman, and the Rebirth of Israel. Historically documented. So we're going to learn about it on Saturday. You mean Trump isn't Cyrus? <laughs> anyway. No, Cyrus is Cyrus. Um, anyway. Right. Anyway, there's something I learned in one of the episodes that I watched, the two... That was news to me, and I found an article that basically covers what was in that episode. You know, this whatever nearly thirty-minute episode. This article covers, and I can probably read it in five minutes. So, I'm going to go with that. Okay. Put yourself on camera. I'm going to. Yes. Here we go. This um, this article over on uh, OneForIsrael.org. The events in Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, 1917, as foretold in the Bible. Well, this is eight to ten minutes. Anyway, uh, Jerusalem, December 1917. The atmosphere was electric as General Allenby dismounted his horse in humility, removed his hat in reverence, and entered the walls of the old city through the Jaffa Gate, which hadn't been in use for many years. 973 years of Muslim rule were over. Iconic footage shows Jewish people welcoming welcoming him as if he was some kind of messiah, and the land was never the same again. As the time went on, Britain's involvement would not always be so positive, but the story of how this particular moment came about is one of breathtaking wonder. After other Muslim conquests had come and gone, the Turkish Ottomans had ruled over Jerusalem and what was then Palestine for 400 years. In the Bible, 400 years seems to be a bit of a byword for slavery and oppression. 400 years of Canaanite sins stored up for wrath. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And here we have 400 years of Ottoman rule. The building of churches and synagogues was outlawed. Church spells were forbidden. Non-Muslims, dimmies, did not have equal rights for the vast majority of that time and had to pay the additional jizya tax. But most catastrophically of all, in 1915, the call had gone out to get rid of every Christian in the empire. The Armenian genocide included not only Armenians, but also Catholics, or Armenians, but also Catholics and Greek Orthodox Christians. One and a half million were murdered, and many more suffered horrifically before making their escape. Perhaps God had decided that enough was enough. This extreme Islam and and um, beheading and stuff like that. It's, this is nothing new, people. The moment foretold in the strategy given in Isaiah 31. As the Turks were fulfilled, were fulfilled, as the Turks were allied with Germany in the First World War, the British found themselves fighting against the fading Ottoman Empire in the Middle East. General Allenby was charged with liberating Jerusalem and had expressed concern to his superiors about the magnitude and sensitivity of the task before him. 
He had been ordered to take the city without firing on the people or the city. How on earth was it to be done? Pray, the answer came from above, which perhaps did not seem to be very helpful at the time, but Allenby did pray. He came across the work of Bible scholar Dr. H. Aldersmith, who had been studying the prophecies regarding Israel. Aldersmith explained in his book from 1898, The Fullness of the Nations, talking about that's from the Gospels, or, you know, the, the fullest of the nations of the, or the Gentiles, anyway. Um, actually, Revelation talks about it as well. Anyway, um, that he believed Jerusalem would be delivered by Great Britain in 1917. So that's going back to 1898, wow. that this, um, this scholar had determined that Jerusalem would be delivered by Great Britain in 1917. He had become convinced from Isaiah 31, 4, and 5 that the UK would have a part to play in the restoration of Jerusalem and that it would be accomplished by some kind of flying machine. Again, 1898, people. Wow. Before the Wright brothers, you know, had that brief little flight in Kitty Hawk in 1903. All right. And it would be accomplished with some kind of flying machine. Alder Smith had arrived at this idea before the yeah, Wright brothers took their first flight in 1903. Uh, airplanes had not even been invented, but of course that is precisely what ended up happening. 14 years later, in 1917, airplanes were used, but not commonly, and most people had never seen one. This man's conviction about Isaiah 31 was Allenby's inspiration. He would fly planes over Jerusalem and drop notes written in Arabic saying, Surrender the city, Allenby. There was an Arab saying that the Turks will not leave Jerusalem until the Nile flows in Palestine and the prophet expels them from the city. Remarkably enough, events conspiring to bring these two un unlikely things to pass. British troops were stationed in Egypt in the years leading up to the events and Lieutenant General Sir Archibald Murray gained authorization to build a pipeline to pump fresh Nile water and a railway to supply their troops. By 1917, the water had arrived along with the troops in Palestine. The River Nile was, bizarrely, flowing in Palestine. Secondly, Allenby's airdrop note, when written in Arabic, looks like surrender the city Al-Nabi, you know, because it's transliterated Allenby into Arabic alphabet, which had no vowels, just like Hebrew, so it, it was the same spelling as Al-Nabi, which means the prophet. So, so many of the Turks left at that time after the mysterious flying objects sent messages from Al-Nabi. <laughs> from the evening December 8, 1917, and all through the night, Turkish troops were leaving Jerusalem, just packing up and going. By early the following morning, all had gone, and the mayor of Jerusalem, with a small party, came under a white flag to surrender the keys of the city. The white flag along with the keys are on display at the Tower of David Museum today. The formal surrender was accepted by General Lachey on, half, on behalf of the Commander-in-Chief, who, him, who himself took the official ceremonial surrender two days later. Jerusalem was delivered and not a shot was fired. Rather remarkably, the motto on the airplanes used in Alamby's operation to deliver Jerusalem was a quote from the Quran, which said, I spread my wings and keep my promise. General Allenby officially accepted the surrender of Davis Tower at the Jaffa Gate, whatever. I'm going to skip down. Pay careful attention to this date. So the evening of December 8th through to the day, December 9th, was a critical and historical time. In the Jewish calendar from sunset December 8th through sunset December 9th of that year, 
fell on the 24th of the Jewish month, Kislev. What's so special about the 24th of the Kislev? To find the answer, we need to go back many hundreds of years to the prophet Haggai. Kislev is the ninth month of the Jewish calendar, and if we read the second chapter of Haggai, a prophet who was ministering during the building of the second temple, we notice that he highlights that date three times. Haggai is receiving the word of the Lord on that date, 24th of Kislev, um, and tells us to consider that date or pay careful attention to it in verse 10, 18, again in 20. And uh, we can look at that here. Um, Haggai chapter 2. Um, uh, well, verse 10. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, and then again, um, what, what were we told? Yeah, 18 and 20. Yeah. Uh, verse 18. Consider now this day and upward from the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. And again, verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came into Haggai in the fourth and twentieth day of the month. So this 24th is Kislev. Uh, comes up three times in one chapter in Haggai. It says, pay close attention to it. Anyway, the context of the chapters mainly surround the issue of the temple of holiness and defilement and of blessing for the people. Um, um, anyway, it says, but from this day on, writes Haggai, will bless you. Some believe that the feast of dedication, Hanukkah, has its roots in this chapter. Um, that, and as we look at the, the celebration of, of Hanukkah, which commemorates the driving of Antiochus Epiphanes and you know the and the the Greeks who had desecrated the temple and all that you know well it's the feast of dedication after Jerusalem was recaptured by the Maccabees and the temple restored and the and the and the menorah lit once again and anyway same time the feast of dedication or Hanukkah um, so is it, is it coincidence that Allenby walked through the gate on the 24th of Kislev at Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, signaling the end of Muslim rule over Jerusalem? Uh, moreover and further back than Haggai, Daniel 12, 12 also prophesied there would be a blessing for Jerusalem after three, 1,335 days, or uh, Yanim, and then we can get whether days is literal days or, you know, there's some discussion about that. Anyways, as one of the British officers was amazed to realize the Islamic year in 1975 was 1,335. Since the Muslim calendar started in what we would call 622, keen observers of the prophecy, such as Dr. H. Aldersmith, had already put the pieces together and were expecting redemption and blessing for Jerusalem 1917. By December 8th, the Islamic year had just changed to 1336. The three, 1,335 years were up. Blessed is he, writes Daniel, who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. After 1,335 years of Islam, the city of Jerusalem was delivered by the British using airplanes that hovered like birds on the 24th Kislev, 1917. And remarkably, in the standard English book of prayer for that day, December 8th, the reading just happened to be Isaiah 31. So, I mean, that's just one of, of many, many things. Uh, the, and this is, um, yeah, just one of many things. 
And we see, again, like mentioned, the 400 years of, of Canaanite, you know, the, the, the land was 400 years before uh, Jews came in. Meanwhile, 400 years in, of, of uh, slavery in Egypt, and then the Holy Land under Ottoman rule for 400 years. And there seems to be these repeating cycles uh, in Scripture. And the 24th of Kislev, you know, being del the Jerusalem being again delivered from uh, Gentile hands or godless hands, not just Gentile, but godless. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, Hanukkah celebrates today. And then again, that was what, 167 BC, so one or 2,000 some odd years later, again. The Holy Land delivered from godless hands, and uh, anyway, so I thought that was just um, interesting. And in when I say that, you know, proof of of I know the Bible is true is because of Yisrael, because it's a book of by Jewish authors about things concerning the Jewish land. Uh, the land promised uh, Abraham, promised Abraham and his descendants, and then the many prophecies about it, its, it's deliverance, the people returning to it, uh, the you know, <coughs> blooms in the desert, the um, basically the land coming back to life. And I was going to talk about, um, you know, I, I looked at some other articles, uh, 9,000 photos from 1800s British Mandate of Palestine with no trace of Palestinians. And there's multiple photos, not going to go through them, of just how this, this land was really a land of a few tiny Jewish settlements that it had fled from Europe and, and, a, and a handful of Bedouins, you know, that, that were nomadic peoples. It wasn't, it was vastly uninhabited. Of course, you search on Google and you look at, you know, Israel and, you know, before 1948 and mostly it'll come up with lies, lies, lies and uh, oh. of how, you know, the, the Palestinians were dispossessed and stuff like that. But fine, go look at 9,000 photos and see how yeah. dispossessed. Can I read a couple of... Um... And Oh, yeah. I, one can one thing I just you one mentioned read over there on Twitch a while back. Mm. They didn't answer. I asked if they're still there, but conscript several T's, conscript with three more T's or four more T's. Says Jews are evil, that's why they've been kicked out of one hundred six countries. I'd say, Okay, let's let's just take that at face value. Jews are evil, that's why they've been kicked out of one hundred six countries. Well then that that makes that asserts that the 106 countries were righteous. If the reason the Jews were kicked out is because they're evil, that would be those 106 countries are more righteous than the Jewish people, right? That's why they're kicked out, because they're evil. So it would have been righteous people that kicked the evil people out. I don't think it's been 106 countries, but I would say, go list those 106 countries that they've been kicked out of if you've got a count, and tell me how righteous they are. Um... And, um, yeah, and you'll just see just on, on its face, the J Jews are evil. That's why they've been kicked out of 106 countries. You'll see that it falls apart just on its own. 
it's it's intrinsically illogical. Um, doesn't stand up, but um, but you look at again the miraculous survival of of Yisrael and the Jewish people and the Hebrew language, etc. It's un it's unparalleled in all of human history. Anyway, yes. you're going to read. Well, uh, there's you know th that's why coming up on Saturday um, we're going to be interviewing um, Craig von Busick about his new book called "I Am Cyrus." Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel. And I was just looking here. I got a PDF version of it, but um, just want to read you a couple of endorsements for this book because it says here, uh, the account of how the nation of Israel came to be is one of the most fascinating stories in human history. Mm -hmm. God has never turned his back on his chosen people, and he always surprises us with how his promises to them are fulfilled. From pagan ancient kings to modern American presidents, God continues to bless the Jews. Read this book and be reminded that God does and always will intercede in the affairs of mankind. May you join the ever-increasing ranks of those who will continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that is a quote and endorsement by Janet Parshall. Mm. This next one is from another guest on my show. Um, I'll read it. During the signing ceremony at the White House following President Trump's proclamation recognizing Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, Prime Minister Netanyahu established the historical significance of the Golan decision. In the long sweep of Jewish history, declared the Prime Minister, there have been a handful of proclamations by non-Jewish leaders on behalf of our people and our land. Cyrus the Great, the Great Persian King, Lord Balfour, President Harry S. Truman, and the President... Donald J. Trump. As Dr. Craig Von Busick explains throughout his well-researched book, I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel, the comparison to the ancient Persian king has great significance. Truman's, Truman's courageous decision to recognize the state of Israel, as outlined thoroughly by Dr. Von Busick in his extensive volume, which, by the way, is over 400 pages, uh, deeply researched with over 1,000 footnotes, made him a hero. However, it was only the first step in the edict, edict of Cyrus. We pray that Israel continues to grow and thrive as it has since May 14, 1948, and that it assumes its true spiritual significance with the house of God in Jerusalem, as Cyrus the Great called for 2,500 years ago. And that is an endorsement from a non-Messianic rabbi, Rabbi Tuli Weiss, mm -hmm. Founder of Israel 365, publisher of Breaking Israel News, editor of the Israel Bible, who actually has been a guest on our show. Um, and then, you know, there's other endorsements from numerous other people that, you know, you can. Doug Hershey actually said he wrote an endorsement as well. He wrote, At a time when so much of Israeli and Jewish history is being twisted or subtly rewritten. A documented history book like this is right on time. We live in an era when biblical prophecy, history, and current events are colliding in Israel, and so few people seem to recognize the profound implications of what that means. For those look, looking into that convergence, I Am Cyrus should be on their reading list. So Doug Hershey, another guest and friend of our show, author of Israel Rising, Ancient, Modern, uh, Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens, which, by the way, I have a whole box of, if you're interested in a copy of that book from Doug Hershey, um, just get in touch with me. I can tell you how much, how much it is. Um, but yeah, 
So this, you know, this is important. And this is unfortunately, you know, I, I find it a tragedy, actually, that uh, the Christian church, by and large, completely ignores Israel. You know, those of us who actually look at Israel are called Zionists, like that's an insult, you know, and anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, several weeks ago, months ago, I don't know, when we were doing our uh, study in Second Peter. Now, I've been familiar with this passage for a long time, but it just, mm. it just struck me in a more profound way. You know, earlier as we were talking about the events of 1917 at the end of World War One, uh, when when uh, Jerusalem uh, fell to the British without a shot being fired, uh, you know the Ottoman Empire driven out after 400 years of mm -hmm. uh, you know right stuff. Anyway, it mentioned the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, shut up these things until the end. And he said, you know, blessed who waits till, you know, 1,336 Yanim, um, be that days of days, you know, whether it be years of days or whatever. And then Haggai chapter 2 about the importance of the 24th of uh, Kislev. Anyway, Second Peter chapter 1, going to pop over there. Just consider this. Uh, Peter writing about being an eyewitness to the Lord Jesus Christ, the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, Adon uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, uh, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. He said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. So um, stop there for a moment. So here he's saying... Okay, when it comes to when it comes to our witness of of Yeshua, Jesus being the Messiah, the, you know, the promised Messiah of scripture and and the miracles he performed and the evidence that he gave that he is who he claimed to be, that this is a prophesied Messiah, we're not making stuff up. This isn't clever advice fables. We even heard a voice from heaven. We were eyewitnesses of everything he did, all his miracles, all his healings. We're and we have this, we had a heavenly voice. There was one at his baptism, and we heard it personally, Peter says. We were there, him, James, and John. He doesn't mention them, but we know from the Gospels. They were there on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, it's called. You know, we heard this heavenly voice. And so, you know, that would seem like for an individual, that should be proof positive, right? Not only is doing the things that were, you know, you know, that substantiated things he said. He never, he spoke as no man ever spoke. He did things no one ever spoke. There was this heavenly voice that came down. That should be enough for him, right? But check out verse 19. He says, we have also a more 
sure word of prophecy, wherein to you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not an old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So it's like, okay, yeah, we 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 were eyewitnesses of the Messiah, his miracles, everything he did. We have a voice from heaven. Done deal? Yeah, but we have a more sure word, and that's the prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament. These these prophecies that aren't of any private interpretation, they're specific about times and places and events, you know, that substantiated who the Messiah would be. Uh, the time that he came, the way that he came, the things that he did, 300 plus prophecies of the Messiah fulfilled in his first coming. They're not of any private interpretation. They're not, that means this to you or it means that to them. We all have our own takeaway from it. No, these are prophecy specific. He says, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, not people made this stuff, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so those today, even within Christendom, that would downplay the importance of the scriptures, it just, I just don't get it. I mean, that uh, we're, we're nearly 2,000 years removed from the first coming of Messiah. And, and we're in a better position than those who were eyewitnesses who walked with him. Who, who didn't downplay it? Yeah, the ones that wrote <laughs> wrote these words, they said they said the scriptures are are more sure than even their eyewitness testimony. Anyway, the words of the prophecy of of scripture are even more sure than their eyewitness experience in a voice from heaven. I mean, just saying. And that's the importance of the scriptures. And so, I guess that ends our program. <laughs> Stacy's falling asleep on the other side of the table. Am I? Yeah, so I'm going to... Is that what it looks like to you? Yeah, so I'm going to wrap it up, I guess. Should I take us out? Uh, Sure, yeah. So, be bold, people. Oh, you you want me? You're going to take it out? Oh, well, okay. okay. No, you can do it if you want. No, you're, you go for it. It's, I'm it's, not falling asleep. It's just I'm tired. It's, mm. This is... I mean, it's, hmm? this, this is your thing. Yeah. All right, people. So, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm tired, just saying. It's been a long four days. When you work full-time, and then you do this on the weekend, and then the evening at 9 o'clock, or 8 o'clock at night. It's a long day. Anyway, so... Uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to do a show on Friday too, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But this coming Saturday, we do have that interview with Craig Von Busick. He was actually just interviewed on the 700 Club a couple weeks ago uh, about his book. And he's going to be spending the whole hour or maybe even 90 minutes with us on the show talking about his book. So we're going to learn more about Israel and then you can be more equipped, you know, and Honestly, if you want to get even 
more biblically equipped, you know, go to Ariel Ministries and go through there and get get the books that that Arnold has written. Israel Israelology, the missing link in systematic theology. Great book. Um, heady, very meaty, but you'll learn a lot about, about the book that you read called the Bible, uh, if you do, you know what I mean? So, um, anyway, and I think that's about it. I think that's, that's it. So we will be back later. (laughs) Be bold, stand up and go with God people because he loves you. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) 